you are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Amen. All right, go ahead and take a seat and open in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. My name is Tim, by the way. I'm the community groups pastor here at CBC. And we're going through the book of Psalms this summer. The Psalms, as we've been saying, the Psalms are this wonderful compendium of, of these, like these hymns, these prayers that actually give us language. As God's people, they, it gives us language to help us know how to relate to God. And, and the Psalms cover, like they span the, the full spectrum of the human experience. And so anything, anything that we've gone through, any emotion, any turmoil, any uh, rejoicing, any experience, it's captured here in the Psalms and gives language to us as we express ourselves to the Lord and, and have this relationship with this vibrant relationship with the Lord. Well, today, today we're going through uh, Psalm 119, which is a little different. Um, if you've been around the Psalms at all, you'll know that Psalm 119 is the longest Psalm in uh, the book of songs, uh, the book of Psalms. Um, we're not going to read the entire thing. If somebody was joking with me before, we should just read it. And then I have like five minutes left to say something. Um, be super easy, would have been, um, but we're going to just take one portion. So the psalm, this psalm, you've been, you've been hearing us talking about how some of the psalms are like acrostics. This one is like the acrostic of acrostics. It's every section begins with a different letter. In fact, you'll see in the psalm, you'll see some of the headings. Uh, they're the Hebrew letters. And so every line in that section begins with that letter. That's kind of how that's broken up. We're going to look at the L and M section only today. So um, we don't know who the author is of this psalm. We're not sure. We know that he was a warrior. We know that he was a poet. We know that he's been through some stuff, some really tough seasons of life. Um, but here's, like, this is the beautiful thing about this psalm. This is what he's saying. Is he's, he's, he's basically, he's saying, can you, like, as I'm reflecting on this, can you believe our creator, the God who created us, wrote a book and gave it to us. And this psalm, Psalm 119, is this beautiful celebration of the gift that we have in the word of God. That God, who could remain infinitely aloof from the curious eyes of reason, if he wanted to, he chose to be self-revealing and like reach out to this people who rebelled, like us, who rebelled against him, who rejected him, who said, we're gonna do life on our own. He's coming, he's still, he's, he's sending message and messengers to us all the time through his word. God wrote a book. So let, like, let, let that sink in for a second. God wrote a book and gave it to us. And what he's saying in the psalm is, listen, this book has changed my life. It is my treasure. And I want you to benefit from it the way that I have myself. So to be honest though, at the same time, like I, I have not always viewed God's word as a treasure, right? Like I don't, and, and in, still to this day, there are times when I just, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't excite me sometimes to open scripture. It feels sometimes like a chore. And so as he's pouring through, as he's gushing and gushing over God's word, what we're gonna see is, like, and one of the questions I wanna ask is, how, like, how can we see what he sees? What does he see? What does he know about God's word that we need to know in order for it to become this treasure that it actually is, 
right? And so, and like, he, you know, he says it's the source of intimacy with God, the source of radical, like, radical life transformation. How can we view God's word the way he views it in order to, to understand it that way, in order to benefit from it like that? So he gets into three things. I'm going to actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read the text first. Verse 89 to 104. We're going to read Psalm 119, verse 89 to 104, and I'll, I'll show you where we're going to go. So let's read, read together as I read out loud. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I've seen the limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. I want you to hang on to this particular verse, verse 97. And in fact, if I were you, I would underline it or circle it or something. This is where we're going to spend a lot of time today. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day, all the day. Verse 98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. All right, so this is the word of God that we're going to study this morning, this portion right here. So let me just give a quick qualifier here. When you read this, like this last section in particular by itself, you might think, man, this guy's like, he's really full of himself, right? Like he thinks he's like, I'm smarter than my teachers. I never mess up. Like we knew that kid in high school. Nobody likes you, dude. Like why does he, like this is, this kind of makes me, like it makes me wonder, why do you, why do you need the Bible, right? If you've got it all put together. But that's not, so let me just qualify, that's not what's happening here at all. In fact, if you look later on in the Psalm, verse 176, he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep, right? In other words, like I've messed up, I've gone wrong, I know it. Or verse five, he says, oh, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes. In other words, like I wish I was more consistent. I need this. I wish I was more obedient to your word, right? So he's not... He's not all full of himself. What he's, saying, what he's saying is, like, objectively, there is a very real way in which those who have this perspective, those who have God's word, they see the world in a way that the world cannot, does not see. Like, so you could be reading one of the most brilliant authors who submits an op-ed to the New York Times, and they're trying to make sense of an event or trying to make sense of a, a certain way of thinking or a cultural moment. And you, you're reading what they're saying, and it's, it's really well, beautifully composed, well, well written, but it's not a biblical perspective. And you can stand above that and say, they just, they just don't, they don't get it. They don't see it. And that's not arrogance. That's objectivity. So there's my qualifier. But he's, so he's not self-deceived. He loves God's word. He loves it. He cherishes it, right? And you can hear this kind of language, this like appetite, yearning, hunger language in the psalm. 
why? Why, why does he love God's word this way? Why, how has it become such an agent of change and transformation and wisdom to him? What is it about his perspective on God's word that we could benefit from? We're going to look at three things. We're going to see the authority that God's word has over you, the gift God's word is to you, and then the way that God's word transforms you. Those, those three things. Then we're going to get to some application at the end of those, that, those three points. So if God's word is going to be the powerful tool of life transformation that it's intended to be, you need to see, let's start with number one, the authority that God's word has over us. The authority that God's word has over us. This is, this is, going, to be my, this is going to be our most controversial point. It's not, and it's like, this is not me. This is scripture saying this, right? If it's, but if it's not controversial, like if you don't feel a little uncomfortable by the end of this point, that I will not have done my job well as a, as a preacher. But what do we mean by authority, right? So look at verses 97 and 98. He says, look at, and look at the words, look at the language that he chooses to use to describe his word, right? He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. So let me state this right up front. What does it mean that the Bible claims authority? This is how we'll put it. It is, the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is supremely authoritative in every word, in all matters, and for all time. It is supremely authoritative in every word, in all matters, and for all time, past and future, for all time. And uh, one of the uh, systematic theology books that I love says, all the words in scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Now, consider this language that the psalmist uses. Think of the, you know, he says, how I love your Law, your commandment makes me wiser. When you think, when, I, when you and I typically think of law or commandment, usually we'll think like, oh yeah, okay, like, like the, the book of Exodus, chapter 20, like the 10 commandments, right? We think of Exodus, we think of Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy maybe. We'll think that's like, we have this shelf, this category, we think of law. But when you look at what the Bible says about the Bible and how the Bible calls, sometimes calls the entirety of the Bible law, it changes things. In fact, there are even two times in the Gospels when Jesus himself is teaching and he says, it is written in the law. And then he quotes Psalm 82. Uh, in John chapter 10, verse 34, he says, it is written in the law. Then he quotes Psalm 82. And then he does it again in, in John 15, 25. It is written in the law. Then he quotes another Psalm, a different Psalm. And the Psalms are poetry, right? Like this is in the wisdom literature. But Jesus says, no, this is, this is how I view it. So why would God, in his wisdom, choose to refer to all of this as law? Why is that comfortable language for him? And what can you and I learn from that? What does it mean for us? It means that all of it is authoritative. All of it. It means that all of it is binding. There are no suggestions in this text. 
Every single bit of it, right? And then and Jesus, like he gets into this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter five, I think it's verse 17. He says, do not think that I've come to loosen the law. This is the word that he uses. Do not think that I've come to loosen the law. I've not come to loosen it, but to fulfill it. And I mean, ironically, there's, there's a famous preacher in this state, in Georgia, that has said, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We need to loosen ourselves from the Old Testament, which is, which is totally against Scripture. Every single bit of God's law has authority over you and over me, still to this day, even the Old, even the Old Testament. And I'll explain this. What's, so think about what he says in verse 89. You've got your text open. Look at 89. He says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heaven. And I'll, let me read verse 152. He says, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Some translations say that you established them to last forever. They endure forever. And that's what Jesus is getting at, what he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, that's the Hebrew letter yod, you could actually see that in one of the the headings in your text there, not one of the smallest of the Hebrew letters, not one letter, not even one dot of a letter is going to pass away. Whoever relaxes, loosens one of these, even the least of these, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So, so this is pretty, like, how do we make sense of this? Well, well again, one, um, one commentary, as I was reading through, one of the commentaries says, the Old Testament remains 100% completely authoritative within which some elements, such as sacrifices, other ceremonial laws, were foreshadowing the Messiah to come. They have been fulfilled. Some of the food laws that were talked about in the book of Acts have been undone or declared clean and so are no longer models for the Christian life. But otherwise, God's word, all of it, remains completely authoritative. Let me give you a seemingly random example. I mean, you know that America, the U.S., is is built on Christian principles, right? Um, The law, when it was originally formed here in our country, was based off of God's law. And they had a very high view, beautifully high view of God's law. And so here's, here's a random example. If you were to dig a well in the U.S., you have to put a wall around it or a fence around it. That's actually based, that's an Old Testament law from the book of Exodus. If you were to dig a pit, dig a well, you had to put a, law, or you had to put a wall around it. If you don't, and if somebody falls into it, and if it's filled with water and they drown, you're you are guilty of murder. And if, on the other like if somebody falls in and is injured, then you have to pay restitution if you don't have a wall. Now, if you do have a wall around it and they jump the wall and then they jump in, they drown, then it's on them. But so, U.S. law, if you, you probably know this, some of you know this because you have pools in your backyard. You are required to have a fence around your pool. That's law. It's based on God's word. That's, that's a law that you are... So if you're like, why do I have to have this lousy... Fence? That's actually... You are accountable as a Christ follower. You're accountable to that law. It still is binding. For some reason, a lot of us Christians on this side of the cross have this weird category where we're like, well, but Jesus came. He kind of fulfilled things. Like there, therefore, that's no longer relevant to me, right? No. Every bit of Leviticus and Exodus 
should be stuff that you and I want to know because it is still on your head and it's still on mine. Some of it has been foreshadowed and fulfilled in our Messiah. Much of it is still there and, and for us to be accountable to. And, and when, so when, I, when we talk about this though, to be honest, like our, our culture, we get squeamish when we talk about it because we're like, well, I don't, I don't like that. Like, I don't like there's just so many laws. It just seems so suffocating and like spiritually deadening. Like, that, that, like how's that going to bring life? How's that going to bring freedom? I thought like this, I thought the Christian life was all about, like if you, you should know the truth and the truth shall set you what? Free, right? How is that freedom? That doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like slavery. It sounds like bondage. But Jesus would tell you, un, un, unless or until you finally understand the, the full weight and authority, the supreme authority that God's word has, you're, you're not going to appreciate the fact that I came and lived it for you. You're not going to appreciate the fact that there is, even in the law, baked into the law, there is grace. And there are ways to, to, to heal when you've crossed and transgressed the law. It's there in the law. But unless you understand the full authority, then the, re- the rest of it doesn't, like, it doesn't become as special. It, and, and it doesn't become as life-changing. And you, you're not motivated to actually, like, see and aspire. So... The Reformed theologians, they call this, the, the, on this side of the cross now, they call it the third, what they call the third use of the law, where the, the law, because of Christ, actually becomes more weighty, more colorful, and more broad than ever. And instead of just demanding outward obedience, it actually demands inward change and transformation. And because of the gospel, we have the power of the Holy Spirit where we actually can. We can change, and we can fulfill God's word. We're no longer f- like a slave to sin and a slave to the law, we're free to obey the law because we want to, not because we have to. But you're not going to get, you don't get the beauty of that, the, the freedom of that, unless you understand the full authority of God's word. So the authority God's word has for us, that's one, number one. Number two is the gift that God's word is to us, the gift that God's word is to it. Now, so there's a bit of a tension here, right? So when you read through this First line in our section, verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How I love your law. Love. Love it. I'm, like, I'm struck with this question. Like, how on earth can, how can you love God's law? How can you love any law? Right? Like, respect the law? Sure. I can get on board with that. Love it? That's weird. Like, nobody's like, you know what you can give me for my birthday? Give me more rules. I love it. Like, nobody loves law. Like, like, oh, good, it's 35 miles an hour. I love this. Get to slow down. You know, nobody loves that. Nobody loves that. The Bible says, Romans 4, 15 says, the law brings wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So imagine, like, there's this line, right? Like, if nobody, if nobody draws any lines, you can just go about. You're totally free, right? But as soon as there's a line and you try to cross that line, you're breaking the law. And if you do break the law, that's unjust. Then you have to pay for that. And the demand, the justice, the demand for justice is a life if you break God's law. So how could this possibly, how could you love that? How could you love the law? Why would God give that law? Two answers for you. 
that I think would be helpful. This is how God's authoritative word becomes sweet, this beautifully sweet gift. Two things. One, when you realize that the best of life is within God's law. The best of life is inside of God's law. I think of 1 Timothy 1, verse 8, it says, For we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. Right? So he said, the law is good. It's right, you know, it's right there in the text. When we think of the law, when I think of the law, I think bad, I think suffocating, I think judgment, limit, hard, right? But no, the law is good. It's, it's like this. And I shared this story with our, with our college kids last, last fall. When I was, when I was young, I'm, I'm one of five kids. I'm the middle, I'm the third of five kids. And... So when I was young, I loved being outside and I loved my sandbox and I loved my Tonka trucks and I would play in my sandbox very happily. I could be outside all day. I just loved it, loved it, loved it. But as a four-year-old, five-year-old, I didn't really care. I, think I didn't know anything about property lines and about boundaries. And so I would also like to wander. It was really fun to play with my neighbor's toys that I didn't normally get to play with. But sometimes if my mom wasn't around and I would go wandering, I'd go a couple doors down, freak her out. So she decided there were times when I would, I would want to be outside but my younger sibling, I had a baby sister, a baby brother, so my mom sometimes needed to be inside. So her solution was, and I'm, I'm sorry, mom, that I'm saying this in public, um, but she would tie me to a tree. <laughs> she, would, she would just, I don't know if I had a, I can't remember, if I, did I have a harness or did she like hook a thing on my belt? I don't know, I don't remember. But she tied me to a tree. And I loved it. I loved it because I had my sandbox there and I had my trucks and I had one of those like big dig things. You ever use like the big dig where you get to like scoop sand and dump it? And I would play, I was like, I was, I was this imaginary guy named Mike. I was this contractor that was doing all these cool things, building buildings and creating cities. And I loved it. It was awesome. And then one day, my sister Christine, my oldest sister, she and her friend Angela, whom I find her name awfully ironic. Um, she, I don't know if it was Angela who instigated it or if it was my sister. I'm not sure. They were just having some fun or what. They came along and decided to take each of my Tonka trucks. You know where this is going, right? And they put them, they didn't just take them. They put them in a circle all the way around my tree, just outside of my grasp. And so I have this memory burned in my mind of reaching, like you're straining and reaching for my Tonka trucks. And I, they were, and I couldn't get to him, right? They were just outside my grasp. Here's the point. When the things that our hearts desire are within the boundaries of God's word. We don't, like, I, didn't, I never even noticed my tether, right? I was out there playing happily. Like, I, my, that tether was life to me. It meant I could be outside and I could play to my heart's content, right? I, there was, it was not an enemy to me. It was a joy. When the things that we desire are, are there within God's boundaries, within God's law, it is a gift that sets us free. 
But when, instead, when our eyes start turning to things that are outside that boundary, that are outside that law, that law becomes, in that moment, it feels like an adversary. It feels suffocating. It feels like squelch, right? Here's the problem. Unless or until you understand that, it's, it's absolutely authoritative, that that line is a lot more firm than you think, right? Unless you understand that, then you'll never, you'll never appreciate just how beautiful and wonderful and, and freeing that law is. Here's, the other, here's another way to look at it. So it's not, not only is it like because the best of life is within the law, it's because the heart of God is revealed in the law. Like the word of God reveals the God of the word. And so, so here, you know, here, I think this is the greatest motivator and the answer to it all. Why would God write a law that could be measured against us? Like why, why would he put in ink something that could actually condemn us? Like it's not, it's not because he hates us and he wants us away from him. It's because he loves you and wants you near to him, right? And so he says, I'm here. Like this is me. This is my heart. Don't go over there. Right? Don't drive off that cliff. I've put, like, I'm putting these boundaries because I love you. Choose, don't, don't choose death. Choose life. Choose me. Choose intimacy. Choose joy. I will do for you what you could never do on your own out there. Come and enjoy and flourish. And, and if we view God's word like that, like, like, like it's rings of a, like that, that are painting the, the blazing center of a target, saying, this is who he is. This is what his heart's like. That's what I want to be like. That's what I want to get close to. If we get that, then God's word becomes this wonderful, beautiful gift to us. Oh, how I love your law. I would want, I would hope, CBC, that that would be your like when you leave the room today, that that would be your heart cry. Like, I love God's word. What a gift this is to us. I can't believe the treasure that I've had in my hand all this time. Man, I take this for granted. Man, I want to get into it. Like that's, that's what I hope we come away with. So the authority God's word has for us, the gift that God is to us. Three, the way God's word changes us. And then we'll get to some practical applications. The way God's word changes us. Look at what he says in verses 103 and 104. I find this fascinating. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. He's, there's this connection, there's this correlation in his mind between, and you can see this here, there's a connection between his appetite and his, and his discernment, his discretion, right? And, and wisdom applied means that you are regularly saying no to things. And, it, and again, like, let me just say, this is, not a, this is not an American value. Americans don't say no to ourselves. Like we say, yes, yes. I want that thing, yes. I want to buy that, I want to go here, yes. I want coffee, yes, I want to drink coffee. We just say, we're just saying yes, 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 yes. Gobble, gobble, gobble all the time. We don't say no, right? So, so here, here's this man, he's saying, I've, I've developed this appetite where these things become, they've become so sweet, like sweeter than honey to my mouth. So as a result, there are other things that become absolutely detestable to me, ideas, truths, 
other ways of life that are detestable. Therefore, he says, verse 104, I hate every false way. I don't hate the people that hold on to these things. I don't, like they're, they're victims of those lies that they've bought into. I love them. I want to help them. I want to rescue them from, from believing those things. But I, I hate the truth, the way that our culture has twisted and contorted God's, like the beauty that God intended and designed. We've wrecked it. We're messing it up all the time. I hate, man, he says, I hate that. I hate it because I've developed this appetite for something much better. Let me leave you with this. Let me just give you this phrase in this point, the way that God's word changes us. You become what you love. You become what you love. Or you could say, one author says, beholding is becoming. Think of 2 Corinthians 3.18 where Paul says, but we all, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Like the more, in other words, when we look at Christ, when we savor our Savior, then we become more like him. The more we gaze at him, the more we behold him. And this is true in all of life. Some of the things that you behold, some of the things that you savor, you become more like that thing, whether it's some fitness magazine or the golf channel or this neighbor down the street with a really pretty property or, you know, or what, whatever it is, this Instagram account that you're following. Like you, when you behold, and when you see that thing and savor it, like you enjoy that, you're going to end up becoming more like that. And the psalm, the psalm this, is, this is thousands of year old wisdom. I already knew that. So I, how, he enjoys, his appetite has shifted in this way. And that's the way God's word changes us. Now, we get to see this perfectly in the word incarnate. John chapter one talks about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the Father, right? Where Jesus lived out every single letter of the law flawlessly. Even to the point where, on, like just before he died, on the night that he was tried and betrayed, Peter pulls out a sword, tries to defend him, and Jesus says, stop, stop. Peter, listen, if I wanted to right now, I could snap my fingers, I could call thousands upon thousands of angels to come and defend me. But how then would the law be fulfilled? That's what he says, right? So even then, even as he's going to his death, he's like, I'm, I am this committed to fulfilling every last little bit, even if it kills me. And, and so, and we see it. The law, Jesus thought the law was binding. Why would you and I think anything less? How then, how can we apply this, right? What, what, what can we learn from the, the passage here? Let's talk application. If we, if you treat this properly, it will radically renew and restore your life, like heal you when you're hurting, challenge you when you're lazy, crush you when you're arrogant, when you need it, strengthen you when you're weak, but it won't do any of those things if it sits closed 
on a shelf. So how? What are some tips that we can get from him, applications that we can get from him? Application number one, study it regularly. Study it regularly. Look at verse 97. He says, it is my meditation all the day. Or if you go to verse 164, he says, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. Uh, the Benedictine monks actually took that verse very literally, and now they have seven readings of scripture seven times a day. Uh, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking, basically, the number seven in poetry and the prophecy literature of scripture talked about, it talks about um, completion, right? So like all throughout the day, I'm going to be in God's word. I want to be thinking about your word a lot. Study God's word regularly. Think of it like this. Tim Doan gave this, he shared this great illustration with me that he picked up. He said, think of, think of it like approaching this old forest, this thick wood, and you decide, I want to, I want to navigate this thing. I want to, get, I want to get in there. I want to explore, right? And so you do the slow and, and like you do the slow hard work of like hacking your way. You, maybe you get a machete and you do some bushwhacking and you forge your way through this old forest. And you start to discover all these wonderful things, these old trees or this little patch of raspberry bushes. And you, you, know, you make your way around the corner, you see this beautiful stream, you make a turn, it goes out to this field, you've got this great view. And you're working, every, like you go out there day after day, you're working, you're, you're hacking your way through the, and eventually you're just walking. You're walking the path and walking the path. What happens in the, in the woods? What happens when you just walk in the same direction every single day or on a regular basis. What happens? You end, up, you end up wearing this path, right? You end up creating this path, this well-worn path. And even within that, you know, like, oh, I'm coming, up on the, I'm coming around the bend. I'm coming up on that section where that stream is. I love this spot. Or I'm close to the field now. I can feel it. I can feel the air getting a little warmer, right? And you're familiar when you're walking through those woods you become so familiar with it because you've been there day after day. What happens when you're going through life and you are hit suddenly with a crisis? Or you're, you are crushed with one, like a dark night of the soul and you feel that darkness enveloping you. Is that the time to get out your machete and start hacking away through the forest for the first time? No. But if, but if you've worn this path, you're like, I know exactly where I need to go. I'm familiar with this path. I've been here regularly. I know what my heart needs. I know where I need to go right now. And I've got that. That path is ready for me because of your regularity in scripture. Study it regularly. That's application number one. It's my meditation all the day. Application number two, study it deeply. I mean, I, he, you can't get past the fact that he calls it my meditation, right? It's my meditation all the day. In verse 99, he says, your testimonies are my meditation. The word, it's interesting, the word meditation, Bill actually got into this a little bit in Psalm chapter one when we were looking at that the first week. The word meditation is onomatopoeia, where like the, the word itself sounds kind of like the, the thing that it is. And, uh, and it's often used of animals chewing the cud. It's like this nom, 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 nom. Like that's, the, like that's kind of what their Hebrew word sounds like. And that's what, that's what meditation is. It's like you're, like, you're just, you're, you're in it and you're chewing it and you're chewing it and you're chewing it. That's, that's what meditation is like. Let me, let me give you an example. One time when I was in seminary, 
uh, one of my profs gave us an assignment. He said, hey, I want you to take Psalm chapter one, go out anywhere on the campus, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and, um, and write down as many observations as you can from Psalm chapter one. Go. And then we did it. We came back. He's like, okay, good. Now go out again and do it all over again. 20 to 25 minutes. Write down a completely, no repeats. Write down a new list. Just get as much as you can out of it. Okay, so we, we went out again. I found my spot. Like, honestly, like five minutes in, I'm like, I think I've milked this thing. Like, I don't know what else. And, but we, I just I kept at it. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start memorizing. And then, and then but get, getting, just digging deeper, meditating, meditating, rolling it over, thinking deeply, letting it start to read me rather than me read it. We came back to the classroom. He's like, all right, one last time. 20 more minutes. And I want you to write down, and this time he gave us some assignment, at least 20 new observations. Leave everything, you have, like leave your other pads of paper and stuff, take a new paper, go out, 20 more minutes. At the end of it all, he says, okay, share with me, what were some of the most helpful, life-transforming, life-informing truths that you derived from Psalm chapter one? And we started writing these things on a board. And it was such a rich conversation. It was so cool to hear and to see what some of God's people had, had seen, literally maybe 30 of us had seen in Psalm 1 from that time. And then he asked this question. He's like, all right, how many of you, how many of these things are up on the board? How many of them were from the first 25 minutes? Nobody raised their hand. He said, how many of them were from the second 25 minutes? Nobody raised their hand. They said, how many from the third? Everybody, everybody raised their hand. And, and the point, his point was, do you see the benefit of just slowing down and spending good, rich, meaningful time meditating deeply? So study it regularly, yeah, study it deeply. And, my, and I'm not saying that that doesn't allow you to, because it, you know, my, my pattern is, I, every year, I listen through the Bible on audio, uh, and, that, and that helps me keep track, and I can, I can get through a lot of ground, but then I also, then I, I stop and read a portion in my, in my reading on a regular basis. So I, I kind of mix it up. I do a bit of both, but study it deeply. Number three, study it personally, right? Where he says, he says this is my meditation. If I, if I was, you know, if somebody comes up onto the stage and, and reaches for it, and I say, no, that's my coffee. That's my coffee, right? You know, like, this is, this, that's personal, right? This, and he says, this is my meditation. And here's the thing. We would rather have, in fact, I was just, I was listening just yesterday, listening to Exodus chapter 20, where God's people actually said, you, Moses, you go and talk to the Lord on our behalf, Right? We, we have this way, like we do this in our culture. We do this a lot. We would rather somebody else interact with God for us, right? Let's just come on Sunday morning and we'll get to, like, Bill, he's been doing all the heavy lifting. He's been working out all week in God's word. Let's just watch him work out and we'll benefit from it, right? Like that's kind of our approach. We'll, we listen to podcasts. We'll listen to other things. We'll just, we'll gobble up stuff that other people have taken time to stop and to study and to Richly digest. And this is, it's good. It's good to be here on Sunday mornings. But this is not enough. You need to make it yours, right? So he says, this is my meditation. Study it personally. And then lastly, application number four, 
would be to study it actively. Look at verse 100 real quick, uh, 100 to 102. He says, I understand, this is that passage where we were talking about earlier. I understand more than the ages and more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Right, so you can, hear, you can hear the activity in this. I am actively putting into practice the things that I'm learning. I love, just this past week, um, I was studying Psalm 119. I actually took my Bible to Yaya's Kitchen. Have you ever been there? So good. Greek food. Awesome. Go sometime. Um, and uh, I ran into Chris and Annette Bland and their family. They're celebrating Annette's birthday. And... Uh, Chris is a professor of pharmacology, and I asked him, I said, hey, what are you going to do for the rest of your day? He's like, actually, I'm, I'm heading to the hospital, and I'm going to be precepting some of my students. And he didn't know that I was in Psalm 119. I'm like, wait, what? Tell me, tell me again. He's like, I'm going to be precepting the students. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, I, and he said, it's where we take the head knowledge and turn it into street knowledge. I'm like, that's it. Like, this, is, this is what he's saying, right? I keep your precepts. I'm taking, I'm taking what I've learned and I'm actually going to go out now. I'm going to go do it. And that's how you taste and see that the Lord is good when you put into practice these things. Study and consider that part of your study. This is hard and I'm going to give it a try. And I want to see and, re, and reap the, the fruit, the benefit, the reward, the sweetness of feeling close to my Savior through this and through, through obedience to him. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because the word made flesh, fulfilled the law to the letter, you and I have the power to now go because we want to, not because we have to, that's done. Having to is done. But because we want to fulfill all of the law, because we love the God of the law. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you, for, thank you for this gift. It really, Lord, your word is a gift. And I don't, but I confess, honestly, I don't always see it that way. Sometimes I do see it as a chore. And I know that, you know, there are some in the room that feel the same, that have felt the same even this morning, even this week. So we confess that to you, Lord. But we also, we thank you for the treasure that it is that you've made known to us and the way in which, even here, you invite us into this incredible adventure through knowing and savoring your word more deeply. Would it be that for those in this room right now? I ask this in the name of Christ, in the name of the word incarnate, amen, amen.